Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning once again. Thank you for joining us. Take your Bibles and keep them at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. That is going to be where we are uh, wrapping up our Ephesians series. I was sitting and counting the weeks. Ten weeks. Ten weeks on this study. And and I hope that you have enjoyed it. I hope that it has been uh, beneficial to you. Uh, Matter of fact... As I have said at the beginning, when we started our shutdown, this is one of my favorite books to preach from, one of my favorite series of lessons that I, that I preach from time to time, or favorite books that I preach from time to time. When we went into the shutdown and, and the quarantine and the not being at church together, not being at worship together, I really struggled with what to continue with, what to preach on. And, and I wanted to save this series of, for when we were all together. But I have gotten such great positive feedback from, from so many of you. And, and I'm glad that I went ahead with, with this particular series because I think it has, has been very beneficial to us in this time of challenge to really think about, to really think about the spiritualness of our life and who our identity is when you take and strip away everything that we're used to in our church walk, in our in our church life, when you take away the fellowship and when you take away being together in the pews, you take all those things away, very simply, what is the core of your identity? And Paul tells us through this whole book that it has to be Christ. It has to be Christ. And and I'm glad that we were able to continue that together through this particular study and get, get that kind of spiritual grounding with each other. But today brings us, as I said, to the end of our study. And there have been passages as I've gone through this study with you that I've struggled with, struggled to try to understand, struggle of how to connect with you, especially distantly like this. And then there's some passages through this particular text, through this book, that are just blunt. And when you read them, you may, you know, want to duck and kind of get out of the way of Paul's uh, swinging thoughts there because they are so blunt to us. But as we bring it to a close... I basically see two themes that stand out through the entire study of the last 10 weeks. First is that God is awesome, powerful, exalted, and worthy of our praise. And that's such an amazing thing to come to. And second is that God has, by his grace, welcomed us into a family as his own, as precious children, and thus we need to live like his children. And so as we take those two ideas, you kind of mesh those two ideas together and it brings us to the finale of chapter six of this whole book of a passage that is probably the most familiar out of all of the book of Ephesians. And it is the idea of the armor of God, the armor of God. And Alex did such a great job of reading that for us just a moment ago. We'll not read it in its entirety together, but we are going to pull certain passages out and talk about it this morning. So what I want us to do is talk about a few things before we get into the actual armor. You know, it's easy to just jump in and talk about, you know, the different parts of the armor. But verse, starting in verse 10, we, we get to see the purpose of the armor. We get to see the purpose of the armor, and I want us to make sure that we, we, we focus in on that for a few moments. So the first thing that Paul does in this section is he calls us to be strong. He calls us to be strong. 
So look at verse 10 with me. He says, finally. So, and I love that word because it's like he's, he's sat and written this letter. He's poured his heart into this letter. And he knew the whole time where he was going. He knew what he wanted to talk about. He knew what the end result of this letter was going to be. And now he's gotten there. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Read that again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul is calling his readers to a place of maturity, to a place of deeper faith, of deeply understanding God. And he says you do that by by being strong. You do that by being strong. And, by, and, and that strength does not come on your own. That strength is not something that you have in and of yourself. He said the strength comes from the mighty power of God. From the mighty power of God. I, I love that. I love that idea because, listen, when we try to stand on our own, when we try to do things our way, how many times do we just mess it up? How many times do we just mess it up? You know, that's, that's the ongoing kind of joke in the show Home Improvement, right? Tim Allen's character, every time he tries to fix something, tries to do something on his own, what does he normally do? He messes it up. And we're the same way. When I try to fix my problems, solve my problems, overcome my problems all on my own, what am I usually going to do? I'm going to fall flat on my face. I think about David. I think about David. David is known <coughs> excuse me, as a man after what? A man after God's own heart. Yet David had a problem. David lusted after a woman. He committed adultery with her. He got her pregnant. And his way to solve the problem, the way he was going to overcome it on his own, was what? He sent her husband out to war, to battle. And what does he end up doing to him? He kills him. He tries to solve the problem with his own power and his own strength. And what does he do? He creates an even bigger problem than he had to begin with. But you see, as children of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, we don't have to try to solve problems on our own. We don't have to try to overcome the challenges of life by ourselves. We faced a lot of challenges in the last 10 weeks. We've had to find a new normal in the last 10 weeks. And as we come back together here in uh, just seven more days, we face still even more challenges together as we figure out what it means to come back with one another. But one thing that we can know and one thing that we can rest assured in is we don't have to do it by ourselves. We have the power of God. We have the spirit of God. We have the son of God with us to overcome those challenges, to meet those challenges and to win the battle. And that's the whole point of this section, is to teach us how to be strong and how to tap in to that power of God. Let's move on and look at kind of a broad picture, though, of the real battle in which Paul is discussing in this section. He says in verse 12, For our struggle, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces 
of evil in the heavenly realms. Now this passage sets up the rest of, the, of this section. It really puts it in context and puts it in its place. But there's something that I want you to understand this morning. And it's simply this, that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And in this spiritual battle, our struggle is a spiritual one. It's not with each other. It's not with other people. Our struggle is with the devil and his evil forces. Let me repeat that because I want you to get this, if nothing else, this morning. Our struggle is a spiritual one. It is not with each other. It is not with other people. Our struggle is with the devil and with his evil forces. Now, one of the things that Satan is so good at is playing with relationships. Is playing with relationships. It's getting us to believe that the enemy is sitting in the pew with us. That the frustration that we have against individuals in the church is greater than the salvation and forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know this morning, as we come back together and as we face challenging times as a church family, a family that is very much in, in transition right now, our struggles are not with each other. Our struggles are with Satan. And through the power of God, we can overcome those struggles. Now, as we talk about this spiritual struggle, you know, we are people that rely very heavily on our senses. Things that make sense to us are things that we can touch and smell and see. And it, it's, it's just, that's just who we are. We're people who understand that which is in front of us. And sometimes it's easy for us, it's easy for us to push aside the spiritual realm. But the truth is, as children of God, we live in both a physical world and a, and, and a spiritual one. And at times, we look at spiritual things that happen and we just kind of chalk them off as, as, as a strange experience maybe. I was just particularly emotional that day. Maybe it was just coincidence. But the fact that you're tuned in this morning, listening to what I have to say and participating in all the other parts of worship tells me that you believe that there is something greater than that just of this earth. That you have faith. That you are a faith-driven person. And faith by its very nature is unproven. It's unverified. Science can't necessarily prove it. And I'm not anti-science, but there is a dimension of faith in which science will never understand, nor will it be able to explain or describe. Many of us, many of us have been guilty, have been guilty of trying to explain away true faith actions of other Christians and even spiritual ones of Christ. But the devil knows how to make us doubt. The devil knows how to make us doubt. He knows how to distract us. He knows how to overwhelm us. He knows exactly what to put in front of us to try to get us to draw our attention away from that which is the most important. And that's why this passage is so important, is to understand that the devil is active, that he is coming after us, but that we can overcome him in our life. Let's keep going, starting in verse 13. Because of all of this, he said, I said all of this so I can say something else. Therefore, put on the armor, not just the armor, the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the grace of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let's stop right there and break down some of this. So if you go back to verse 11, we skipped it. We did it on purpose. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. If you, if you rewind a few weeks, we talked about the idea of changing clothes. We had a whole passage, a whole section, a whole a lesson on taking off the old and putting on the new. We took off the old clothes of the world, and now he's telling us here what that change of clothes is. Our change of clothes as Christians is armor. It's battle gear. It's getting us ready for these encounters. And the whole point, the whole point of the armor is to allow us the ability to stand firm. Not just to stand, but to stand firm. So that we're not going to be pushed from one side to the other. So that we can take our battle stance standing side by side with our brothers and sisters. And know that when Satan is approaching, when the challenges are before us, when the storm is rolling in, that we can plant our feet on solid ground. And we can know that because of the power of God, there's nothing that can knock us down and defeat us. That's the whole purpose of the armor is to help us stand and to stand firm. And so let's break down some of these armor aspects. We're going to touch on all of them, some of them a little bit quicker than others. <coughs> but this will give us some ideas here. Here's the important things that he tells us. He says, first, put on the belt of truth. Paul says truth is like a belt. Roman soldiers wore two types of belts. An outer one, which held their sword and their dagger, their weapons, so they could get to very easily in battle. But the inner one that was under uh, their, their, their top layer of clothes was there to hold, for us guys, the best way to say it is to hold their dress up. You know, there, there's a lot of garments that they had, but basically they were wearing a, a, a skirt, you know, so they're holding the dress up on under them. Uh, I've never attempted this. Ladies, you have. And, and any of our guys that have, maybe we need to have another class. I've never had to attempt to run in a dress or a skirt. But I imagine it's not the easiest thing to do. And so what this belt did was it, it pulled up this inner skirt, basically, that they're wearing and held it up so that they could move more freely. And truth does just that for us. Truth sets us free. It gives us freedom from sin. It gives us freedom from denial. It gives us freedom from so many things. So he says to begin with, focus on and make sure you are wrapped in truth in your life. And then he goes on. He says the next thing is the breastplate of what? Of righteousness. And the breastplate covers the upper torso and as, as such, it protects, it protects the most vital organs 
in our life. Righteousness is that which protects the most important things in our life. In other words, Paul's telling us that by living obediently, we will protect our hearts. It's reminiscent of his comments that we not sin and allowed Satan to have a foothold in chapter 4 and verse 27. When we sin, we open up cracks in our armor and it, and it makes us vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And when sin, as James says, when sin enters in and is full grown, it gives way to death. <coughs> and so our breastplate protects us from that. The third idea he talks about is the readiness from the gospel of peace. The imagery in this section comes first from the Roman soldier, but I believe Paul is also making an allusion to a passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 52 and verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, announcing peace. If our goal is to stand, then obviously footwear is going to be important. Let's use a little football analogy. You can tell an experienced quarterback from a rookie quarterback by watching their feet. Young quarterbacks usually do a lot of dancing around, trying to just get out of the way of things. They're jittery. They're uncomfortable. An experienced quarterback will have quiet feet. He'll have peaceful feet because he is ready and he knows what he has to do. And that's the principle that we need in our life, to be prepared, to know what we are to do, to have that truth grounded in the gospel, and to be ready for action with peace in our life as we face attacks. The next thing he mentions is faith. And he says, faith is like a shield. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this right now, but I want you, in your spare time today, if you have any spare time, to look up Roman soldier reenactments. Roman soldier reenactments. One of the most versatile tools that a Roman soldier had was his shield. And they were trained to use it in so many different ways to protect not just themselves, but the people that are standing beside them and behind them. And just watch, read what Paul says here, and then watch some of these videos, and you get a deeper understanding of the imagery here in, in Paul's writing. But these shields, they were made of solid wood, and they were covered with metal and then animal hides, and then they were soaked in water so that when the enemy shot an arrow and it was flaming, okay, as he alludes to, it would hit that shield and dissipate because of all the water. And so that made me think, what are some of Satan's flaming arrows? Well, one that I think is so powerful that he uses is the arrow of doubt. He whispers in our ear with things such as, if God were real, he wouldn't let these things happen to you. God doesn't really love you or else this wouldn't have happened. God isn't powerful enough to help you with a problem as large as the one you have. He does a great job of trying to shoot arrows at our faith. He says things like, you went to church and didn't feel anything. It must not be that important. Or something like, people are really disappointed in you. That's what all Christians are like. They don't love. Or you have a right to be angry or hold a grudge. 
and look for revenge after what that person did to you. Or I don't, I don't feel like loving others today, so it's okay for me to treat them poorly. And the response to all of these arrows of doubt are to be to stand firm in the truth and hold on to the shield of faith and let it protect you. Let the words of God and the truth of God protect you in your life. Then he brings up the helmet which represents salvation. It's there to protect our heads. Likewise, salvation is there to protect our minds. We know that we are saved. This is one of the great truths of Christianity that most faith systems cannot even touch. We know for certain that if we are baptized believers of Christ and we live faithful to him, that we are saved, that we have salvation. That's the whole point of chapter one, especially this, the, the, the part of the Holy Spirit, that if you've received the Holy Spirit at that baptism, then you have the assurance of your salvation. Not a question, not an if, not a maybe, but the assurance of your salvation. <clears throat> then he mentions the word of God and likens it to a sword. The sword is both an offensive weapon, but it's also a, def a defensive weapon used to attack and counterattack. In the spiritual battle, that weapon is the word of God. And the simple question that I just want to ask you is, what good is a weapon if it sits on your shelf and is never used? Many of us, if we're not careful... Our faith, our knowledge is based simply on what you hear from your preacher. But I assure you, there's so much more to it than that. Matter of fact, Bruce and I were having a really good conversation just this morning about how, how do you get up and, and preach and teach um, and, and, and feel so confident in that. It, it's because of the time of study. There, there are some of you that could talk about sports for two, three hours at a time. You could talk about cars for two or three hours. You could talk about your hobby for hours upon end. And you can do that. You can do that because you know those things. You've spent time studying those things. Imagine putting even half the time you put into some of those hobbies into just learning the Word of God. And studying the word of God. Imagine the difference it would make in your life. Imagine how it would change your conversation. It would, it, would, it would encourage you to teach a lot more than you probably do. The sword of the, uh, the, sword of the spirit, the word of God is such a powerful tool. But it does you no good if it just sits and collects dust. So make sure you're using it. And then the last thing he mentions. And this is not really a... This is not really a part of the armor as much as it is an action. He mentions prayer. And he teaches the importance of prayer in the battle. The last three verses here are devoted to this. And he tells us several things. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Pray for each other. And then some requests for personal prayer of his own. But prayer is definitely a spiritual act. It is one of those disciplines through which we actively connect to the spiritual realm. And that is why it is so critical. I don't intend to take the time this morning to talk about how to pray. I'd rather simply implore you to do it. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and including prayers for one another. And that is where I want to conclude today. It's for us to just take a moment, silently at first, and then I will close us in a prayer. But in that silence, pray for our church family. Pray for the challenges we face, the transitions that we face. 
the, the coming back together next week, just take a moment and pray for your church family, and then I will close our time of study with a prayer. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this text, that these words that are so familiar to us. And sometimes in our familiarity, God, we, we lose conviction. We lose the ability, not the ability, but the willingness to really see the power of these verses. And I pray today in some way, God, that we've reengaged our hearts and minds into this passage that it means more to us today than maybe it ever has, or that it will begin to mean more to us, God. God, I pray for our church family. We are in challenging times, facing challenging moments. And God, that's normal. That is the nature of this life is challenges. But that's one of the beauties of being your children is to know that we don't stand alone that we stand in your mighty power. And as we face these moments, God, give us courage, give us strength. Remind us to put on our armor. Remind us to, to pick up our sword, to put on our helmet, to grab our shield, and to re-engage, to re-engage in our church family in maybe a way we never had. Sometimes through our greatest struggles come the greatest awakening. And God, today I pray for that great awakening in our church family, that the challenges that we face and overcome together will unite a fire within us that helps us reach out in this community and save this community, God. Help us to be that type of soldier in your army. Be with us as we come together next week. And as different as it might be, help us to find strength in numbers, strength in gathering, strength in familiarity of, of faces and smiles, God. Help us to have patience because it will be different. There will be a few small challenges on the front end of, of figuring out what it looks like. But God, when we gather together, help us to put our hearts in the right place, to lift our voices in the right direction. We thank you for the time that we've had to just slow down over the last 10 weeks and maybe think more spiritually than we ever have. We pray for our country, God, as it is hurting today. Bring peace to our country, God. Give guidance to our leaders. Most of all, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his mighty power, his sacrifice that gives us forgiveness, that gives us assurance and gives us a home with you in all eternity. Let us never forget that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Again, we thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking time to watch. I hope that if you feel that it is appropriate that you be with us next week, please understand that if you don't feel comfortable, if you're in that high-risk um, group, 
that it is perfectly okay and perfectly acceptable for you to stay home and to continue to gather with us through our live stream. That will continue to be available. We do not have any plans on ending that ministry. As a matter of fact, we are looking for ways every day to extend that ministry. And so please, please feel that you have that option and that you can take part with us that way. We're going to be together, whether it's physically or in spirit, together Sunday morning. But I look forward to those of you that will be here Sunday. I look forward to seeing you. We will continue to talk about this stuff over our next few live streams, but then uh, we will be together. If you need anything, if you need any spiritual assistance this week, if you're struggling with anything, please reach out. Please let me know. I'll be more than happy to sit and visit with you. Please reach out to our elders. They'll be more than happy to assist you in any way they can. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a blessed rest of the day, and we'll be back with you at 6 o'clock this evening. God bless. Love you all. Have a good one. Official to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 930 and Wednesday evenings at 630. You can also check us out on Facebook Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.